Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Wonderful to be together this morning. We want to welcome those who are joining us online right now. And uh, we also want to welcome those who are listening to us in Spanish through Carolina this morning. We welcome you. Bienvenidos. Uh, but uh, we're glad that everyone's here today. And I'm glad I'm here today. I was sick last Sunday. That's a bummer. I like coming to worship the Lord. I like being with God's people. Amen. I want to give you a quick update. We were singing that song, even when we don't see him. He's working. And sometimes what we see God doing is just the beginning of his working. Um, I was uh, talking with Bruce McDonald this week, and he was giving me an update and uh, asking if I would be willing to go with him to Niger in uh, late, no, late October and early November. And so we're planning to go and record more programs, television programs for the uh, television stations there in North Africa. And every week, and also sometimes almost every day of the week, those broadcasts are going out over seven Islamic television stations. Amen. And uh, they're going out and actually being not by a possible audience, but an actual audience of over nine million people. And so that's a tremendous impact that the gospel is having in uh, North Africa. You know, 1986, I was in Zimbabwe. We went to a conference with Reinhard Bonnke, and he spoke how the Lord had promised him that he would break down the iron gates of Islam. And I believe the gospel is breaking down the iron gates of Islam. But as I was also thinking of Bruce... Um, uh, Bruce McDonald uh, left his work, uh, secular working, in 1986 and went to be full-time missionary. Uh, he went and lived first in Latvia, but went into the Iron Curtain even for a few years before the Iron Curtain came down. But uh, he was there faithfully preaching the gospel, doing crusades, and starting churches and ministries in all over uh, the Soviet Union at that time. And um, at one point, uh, about four or five years later, uh, the pastors of Ukraine, he was visiting with them. And one of, or two or three of those pastors said, you know, Bruce, we were sitting and we were counting. And the best that we can count is about a thousand churches have been started here in Eastern Europe because of your ministry. And by the way, not just his ministry, but your ministry, because you were sending him, and we still send him. And right now, his work continues in North Africa. His work continues in the highland of Ethiopia, where in the Omo Valley, there's a severe famine there right now and a drought. Uh, but God's using our gifts, our faith, to feed people there. Uh, there's been two new churches built we're waiting for the rain so they can be plastered because there's no water to make plaster. And so right now they're just made out of sticks. But before long they will be covered with mud and made into made adobe. And uh, so anyway, that's happening there. Amen. You don't see that, but I want you to know God's working. But what excites my heart this morning is that there's a thousand churches right there in the midst of the war that's raging in the Ukraine. And I believe those people are standing for the Lord. They're believing God and they're praying. 
and it's going to make a difference in the history of that nation because they're there. And uh, we spent a lot of time working in the neighboring country of Moldova, and we received uh, communications from Viktor Pavlovsky in uh, Moldova. Some this week we saw we received a, a video of uh, some gypsy families who had come out of Odessa and had come down to where they were and they had, were ministering to them and then they were getting on a bus to go on west into Germany. But hundreds of thousands of refugees have fled into Moldova and the, the 400 churches that are there because of Viktor Pavlovsky, who is there because you, as God's people, helped him get an education. He had to have an, a degree from a certified uh, university or institution here in America in order to preach there and start a Bible school. And for about three years, this church supported him and his family while he completed those degrees and was able to return to Moldova some 22 years ago, or no, 32 years ago, excuse me, now. But uh, anyway, those 400 churches, when, when we went there for crusades, there were only about 60. But they got a vision of God reaching that nation, and they have planted uh, about 350 churches in addition to the 60 that were there. So I just want you to know God's working. And it is exciting to me to see what Bruce was doing, what we were doing, working together, the churches he planted and the churches that we helped start uh, are, are there working in the midst of that situation. I know many times you just get up, you watch the news and just wish you could leave and go do something over there to help. But I want you to know you just did. Amen. You just did something. You're supporting these men of God who are continuing ministering in these situations. And so I wanted to share that with you this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to 1 John, the, the fourth chapter. Uh, this month we have been uh, staying here in 1 John. And uh, the, the emphasis has been on going deeper. And uh, I'm going to conclude this series, I think. Is that right, Pastor Jonathan? Am I the last hurrah here? Um, but I'm going to conclude by ministering from the fourth chapter of first John this morning and I'm privileged to talk about the greatest thing the Apostle Paul said now abideth faith hope and love but the greatest of these is love so I get the greatest subject this morning I don't know if it'll be the greatest sermon but I get the greatest subject so uh, anyway I want to begin reading with verse 7 from chapter 4 on into the end of the chapter there so follow me as I read this morning Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him as pastor jonathan would say i thought you would get more excited about that <laughs> without him we'd all be dead in our sins and trespasses and this is love not that we loved god but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins we'll talk about that a little bit beloved if god so loved us we ought we also 
ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and, in, and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Do I need to read it again? Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love of God that has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. And he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not. For he who... um, does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment that we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Now that is worthy of staying on that subject. You could stay there for a year or more because there is so much revelation, there's so much truth, and there's so much impartation and understanding of the love of God. But this morning we want to know that in order to go deeper with the Lord and strengthen our communion with him, it has to be through knowing the love of God and knowing the characteristics of God's love and being willing for that same love to flow through us to other people. He who doesn't love does not know God. He who loves God, know, uh, he who loves knows God because God is love. Amen. We can only the authenticity, the thing that authenticates our faith, is that we know God and know His love, and that His love is in us and abides in us. Amen. Amen. So there's so much here this morning. Back in the old days of radio. There used to be a pop song, What the World Needs Now is Love, Sweet Love. Remember that one? You old folks who have gray hair like me? Anyway, young ones, look it up on uh, Google. What is a radio? Anyway, um, but uh, what the world really needs is God's love. They need to have the gospel of God's love preached to them. And they need to have the love of God demonstrated to them. Both. Not one or the other, but both. 
And as we consider God's love this morning, just pause and think for a moment. Love is both a noun and a verb. And I'm not talking about just any kind of love. I'm talking about God's love, agape love, an unconditional, eternal, all-powerful love with which God loves us. And empowers us to love others. Because love is not only a noun. Love is a verb. In the New Testament. Love is used as a verb 137 times. And as a noun 116 times. I think that kind of makes a point. Doesn't it? Because. This. They're, they're, you know love is a noun. It identifies the attributes. And the, the very nature of. What God's, what, how God relates to us and how God knows us and how God has given to us his love. Amen. But it also defines God's actions. Love is understood by God's action. In this, we, the, man, the love of God was manifested towards us in that he sent his son into the world. Amen. This is how he demonstrated his love. This is the nat- not just we're not just talking about a definition. Yeah. We're talking about a manifestation, something that is real, something that is powerful, and something that makes an incredible difference. Yeah. Amen. In our lives, and if we allow it to, it can be, it can go through us as we look at love. We're looking at God. We're looking at God. God is love. If you're going to understand God, you have to understand him through this thing called agape love. The love of God. The unconditional love of God. But not only are we looking at a portrait of the Lord, but I hope we'll also realize that the power is here this morning to look into a mirror. And see this love begin to be reflected into our lives. That's what I'm aiming for this morning. Because the deeper life, the deeper life is the deep, deep love of Jesus. Knowing that deep, deep love and allowing that deep, deep love of God to dwell in us and to flow through us. We know God by his love. We know God by his love. Amen. This is how God revealed himself to us. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. He demonstrated love by becoming a man. Coming and dwelling among us. Living a perfect life. And then dying a sacrificial death. And then being raised from the dead. And rising to the right hand of the father. Where he lives and abides forever. Now, as we need to take a little closer look at love and define the kind of love that the Bible is talking about here. God's love initiates. God's love initiates. He went first. He did not wait for us to love him. You know, sometime in talking with each other, we say, I found God. 
Oh, really? You found God because God found you. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Yes. But he first loved us. He sent his only begotten son. He sent his best, most valued, most loved son into the world that we might live through him. His love initiates. God's love propitiates. I'm sure you've used that word several times this week in your vocabulary. Well, we're going to have a vocabulary lesson this morning. Because that word means to cover in love and mercy. To cover in love and mercy. Amen. In the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, the the Day of Propitiation, blood was brought into the holy place and sprinkled upon the mercy seat and sprinkled around the, the Ark of the Covenant, but most especially placed upon the mercy seat. Amen. Because that was how, the, when, when that happened, the sins of the whole nation were forgiven for the whole year. God interposed mercy between them and judgment. That was the purpose of the Day of Atonement. Was that God would stand between his people and judgment. We see this best exemplified by Jesus hanging upon the cross. By Jesus going to the cross. Passing through the multitudes of Jerusalem as they mocked him. As they scorned him. As they sped upon him. And then as he was nailed to a cross. A crown of thorns upon his head. Beaten upon his back. Pain upon pain, torment upon torment, left on the cross to die from loss of blood, being unable to breathe, being just stressed and suffering beyond all compassion. His heart broke in the the chamber and there was blood and water when they pierced his side with the spear. But as he was hanging there on the cross, He cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the middle of that agony, they didn't even have time to say, I'm sorry, we wish we hadn't done this. No, it was on the cross in the midst of that. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And Jesus placed himself and his blood between not just them in judgment, but between all mankind and whoever would put their trust in him and the judgment that would come upon their life. Now the power of of the love of Jesus is demonstrated by the fact that one of the thieves that hung beside him, and in the earlier gospels it says that this, it says that they both mocked him and scorned him. But while they were hanging there on the cross, one of them changed their mind. And I think what changed the mind of that thief was he saw the mercy of the Lord in Jesus Christ. If this man can forgive me for what I just said and did, then he can save me. And then he cried out and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord said, today you will be with me. In paradise. 
Now that is a beautiful example of love that covers the sin of mankind. The love that covers the sin of those who hate you, who scorn you, who say all manner of evil against you, and who revile you. Jesus demonstrated it himself. And the power of that demonstration is manifested in the salvation of that thief. We see it in the Old Testament. Because Noah is one of the great heroes of the faith. that's listed in the Old Testament. For 120 years he preached righteousness. And he preached repentance. Then he spent enough time to build an ark. That he and his family might be saved and whoever else would come. In that, in that ark were all of the animals that would be necessary to, re, to restore life upon the earth after the flood. And after the flood was over, after they left the ark, Moses, I mean Moses, Noah went and planted a vineyard. His vineyard grew up. The grapes got ripe. Guess what Noah did? He made some wine. And he got stinking drunk. I mean, stinking drunk. So much, Bruce, he didn't even know where his clothes were. And he's laying naked inside the tent. One of his sons, Ham, walked in there, and what he saw was the biggest hypocrite. How can you preach righteousness for 120 years and then do this? And he sat there and he judged his father for his sin. And for his weakness and for his frailty. He judged him. And Ham was cursed. But the other two brothers, Shem and Jepheth, took a blanket, walked in backwards, wouldn't even look at their father's nakedness, and covered him. We can say, did he deserve to be covered? From a human standpoint, we would say no. Did he need to be covered? Absolutely. Absolutely. But that, the love of those two sons covered their father's nakedness. They did not judge him. Love propitiates. Amen. Remember that. Amen. God's love duplicates. <laughs> it replicates. Whichever word you want to use, it has to rhyme with the other two. But, Everyone who is born of God loves others as God has loved them. Because it wasn't just enough for this love to reside in Jesus. He wanted to make sure it could reside in us. And so when we are born of God, this love flows into our heart. And God enables us to love. Now, I share this this morning because I want you to know that, remember, love is not just a noun. Love is a verb. You know, the love of God in us should cause us to initiate. How many introverts do we have in the congregation? Yeah, me too. I'm a quiet man most of the time. But anyway, when I'm not preaching, but... Even us introverts, we can't sit around waiting for somebody to ask us to be nice to them. Waiting for them to say, I want to be your friend. No, we need to initiate. 
relationship. We need to initiate the love. We need to go to them and love them and not wait for them to love us. You can't make people love you, but you have the power to love them. And we need to initiate the acts of love in our life. Judy and I pastored a little church in Texas in a little town called McGargle. That'll humble you. Where do you pastor? McGargle. Anyway, it was a big town of 325 people. Precious people. But um, they were mostly older. Judy and I had been ministering in the inner city. God sent us there for rehab. Because after two years of ministering to the poor in downtown Fort Worth, we went out there in the country and had 12 sets of grandparents who just spoiled us to pieces. But anyway, we needed it. But there was a lady in our congregation. Her name was Mrs. Rigby. And uh, one day we heard about a man who had been coming to church from time to time. We hadn't seen him for a while. And somebody said, where is he? And somebody else said, well, he is sick and he's quit eating because he doesn't want to be a burden to people. So he just wants to die. He just wants to die. He doesn't want to be a burden to anybody. If you're here and you don't want to be a burden to anybody, you get to the altar this morning and you repent because it costs to love and be loved. But God doesn't give you an exemption from being loved. You need to be loved. And this man needed to be loved. Now, we Pentecostals, we Charismatics, we believe healing by laying on of hands. Well, Miss Rigby was a Baptist. And she went home and she laid hands on her chicken and on her axe. And she used the axe to chop the head off of her chicken. She plucked the feathers from that chicken. She cleaned the insides out of that chicken. She cut that chicken up. She cooked that chicken. She made chicken soup. And she went over to that man's house, walked in there and said, you don't get to die. And fed him chicken soup. That man decided there was something to live for. He got better. But Miss Rigby didn't wait to be asked. She went and knocked the door down. You don't get to do this, mister. I love you, and that's, I'm going to take care of you. And she and her husband were right there to make sure that man had everything he needed to be okay. That's the love of the brethren. It was a privilege to be there and to be able to minister to those precious people. But how can others see God? How can we see God? No man has seen God at any time, but how can we see? How can we know? How can we understand? That's the question. But John says this. He said, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. This verse declares God comes to take up residence 
in your life and my life. He sent his son into the world that we might live through him. But he came that he might live in us. He abides in us. Even when you are cranky tomorrow morning and have to go to work. You may be sour on the outside, but there's light on the inside. There's life on the inside. There's love on the inside. There's hope on the inside. Because Jesus abides in you and his love is perfected in you. Now, we as Christians, we always talk about growing into things. We need to talk about growing things, yes. But we, we feel like everything has to be gradual. I don't know about you. I didn't get gradually born again. I got born again. Boom. I didn't gradually repent. I repented. I mean, the, the, you know, these things don't take gradually. They take, this is instant. His love is perfected because it's perfected in him and he's in you. It's not up to us to perfect it. That is a bunch of baloney. Sorry. I would like to use other words. But no, no, no. It's what he does, not what we do doesn't come about because we're so spiritual, but because he's so wonderful. Because he dwells in us. And we have that realization that he's in us. I tell you what, you can get up feeling like a worm on Monday morning, get in the shower and start singing praises to God. You'll find out you've got company. God has given us of his Holy Spirit. God's loving us has another gift, the gift of the Spirit. He first gives us his Son, and then he gives us of his Spirit. God loving us on the inside. Galatians 5.22 lists the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Going on down the list of the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. But these things grow, they're inside of us. Amen. The the gifts of the Spirit are instantly manifest. Somebody laid on hands on me and I began to prophesy, began to speak in tongues. It didn't happen gradually. Again, it happened instantly. And it was not born gradually, it was born with maturity and a fullness of, of faith. Sometimes I worry that I'm wearing down. I prophesied better the first time than I do sometimes. But the thing is that those gifts were instantaneous. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is empowered by the Holy Spirit and by the love of God that's in our hearts to bring forth the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I tell you, we, you can say, well, I've run out of patience. I'm sorry, that excuse has to fly out the window. Baloney, sorry, doesn't work. Uh Uh-uh, not anymore, not for us. Not if we read this chapter in the scripture. But if we're going to understand this love, we have to look real closely at the example of Jesus and at his teaching. 
Have you noticed that most of us spirit-filled evangelical Christians prefers a lot of times to stay in the epistles where the doctrine and the teaching of the church are? But how long has it been since you read the Gospels? How long has it been since you read the Gospels? Reading the Gospels makes us focus on what Jesus commanded. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means to be a follower of Jesus who has been taught to keep all his commandments. So we need to know what he taught and what he commanded. We can't walk in ignorance. We can't walk in darkness. We have to study the word to, to make ourselves approved workmanship unto the Lord, not being ashamed. But many people are ashamed because they haven't focused on these basic teachings of Jesus. I know. This is the vegetables on the menu. Love your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Forgive your brother 70 times 7. If he comes to you 7 times in one day seeking forgiveness for the same thing, you have to forgive him. That's what Jesus taught. That's what he commanded. And that's what we should do. This Thursday night, a senior group came over here in the fellowship. We watched the movie, Sabina, about Richard Wormbron's life and her testimony. And it was so wonderful and refreshing just to see the testimony of these two precious people. They were atheistic Jews in Romania who got saved under Nazism. Okay, so this is a supernatural thing. This is the impossible being made possible. This is the immovable moving. This is the unbreakable being broken by the power of God. And these two people just got through tired of living empty lives. And they began to seek meaning. And part of that meaning was they ended up finding the Lord. When they found the Lord, they turned to the Gospels. And they began to just read the Gospels and says. Love your neighbor as yourself. So they started fixing food, not just for themselves, but for their neighbors. And when they take that food to their neighbors, grace, some of them would slam the door in their face. Some of, one of them took a jar of perfectly good jam and threw it down on the floor and broke it. But that didn't stop them. They went to the same doors every day. Knocking, taking food. Finally, they said, you're not going away. Give me the food. <laughs> After they ate it, they want some more. But those people ended up getting saved. They ended up getting saved. Because two people just reading the gospel said, this is what Jesus wants us to do. And they just did it. But there was a greater test that came in her life. When the Nazis came and occupied Romania, and she had a wonderful family, two or three sisters and a young brother, her mother and her father, and I think some aunts and uncles, were taken by captive by the Nazis, taken up into the Ukraine, and, and there they were killed. And her husband, Richard, had to tell his wife about that her whole family had been killed by the Nazis. 
But they had a, a boisterous, arrogant, rude neighbor who was a big galoot. I don't know what else to call him. But anyway, he came back from Ukraine boasting that he came back because there were no more Jews to kill. So Richard Vermbrom takes him in his living room and confronts him and says, I want you to know that those Jews you killed in Ukraine were my wife's family. And I want you to receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ because no matter what you did to her family, God loves you and gave himself for you. And this man just looked at him and arrogantly said, what are you talking to me about love for? How can I really see this? He says, I'll show you. He says, I'm going to go wake my wife up. I'm going to tell her that the man who killed her family is here. She's going to come out and get you something to eat. So he went in. He says, Sabina, there's somebody you need to meet, the man who killed your family. When Sabina walked out of the bedroom, into the living room, she threw her arms around this man, hugged him, and kissed him on both cheeks. The man began to weep and break down because he'd experienced love, God's kind of love that could forgive enemies, that could, could forgive persecutors, that could stand in the face of all this darkness and not give up. And this man took his Nazi dog tags, ripped them off his neck and handed them to her and said, I'm not going to be a Nazi anymore. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Later, Sabina had a whole box full of those dog tags because she kept sharing the testimony of God's, God's perfect, unconditional love and mercy. He'd made it known in their lives, and they took their lives to make it known in the lives of others. That is exactly what God wants us to do. Because when the people see this kind of love, this will move them. It's one thing to hear the gospel of God's forgiveness. It's another to see it demonstrated. This is an example of God's perfected love. May I remind you, they were new Christians. They didn't go to Bible school. They hadn't been trained for 40 years. They hadn't been in a thousand seminars. They just read the gospel and believed what God's word said and did it. And Jesus lived in them and his perfect love worked through them to do the impossible. There's nothing impossible about that. Love is, this kind of love is not about emotion. We like phileo, the, the love of friendship. There's, there's just people that you relate to. You have, you, you just, you know, you're drawn to them. You have love and affection for them. They're your deep and close friends. That's phileo. Amen. And even in a marriage, you have that eros love that keeps and binds and holds you together in that wonderful intimacy of marriage. But this love, this agape love, is God's love, and it is a choice. It is a choice. You have to choose to love. But if you vote for it, Jesus will vote with you. And you will win the election. But it's a choice. 
We have to choose to love. We have to choose to love the unlovable. Judy and I were Baptists for a while, but then we got baptized in the Holy Spirit. It kind of messed us up. And some of our Baptist friends began to look at us askance. And there was a man in our congregation. He'd been there for a couple years. And anyway, he kind of refused to go along with this. And, uh, but he was starting a Christian bookstore. And he, he needed somebody to help him. He had a whole bunch of bookshelves that needed to be painted. And uh, I just felt the Lord saying, go help him paint his bookshelves. So I went over there and I helped Alan paint all of these bookshelves. And when the paint dried and he opened up his store and put books on those shelves, all those books were books that were anti the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That didn't mean I didn't have to love him. Didn't mean I didn't have to serve him. You know, all you can do is pray for your enemies. Pray for them who despitefully use you. <laughs> pray for them. And I prayed for Alan. I don't know how much or how sincerely or what kind of faith I prayed because he seemed pretty stubborn and stuck in it. But he had a small crisis or great crisis or whatever in his life. And he ended up calling upon the Lord. And guess what happened? The Holy Spirit showed up. God did to him what he'd done to me. And Alan went and got all those books off the shelf, took them in the back, dumped them in the dumpster, and bought a bunch of books on being filled with the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit for the church today. Now, there's a verse in Revelation that says, I'll make your enemies your footstool. Do you know what that means? That means the person who's hated you and stood against you will become your servant and your helper. And this man became a servant. He became a deacon in our church and a dear friend. He's still our friend to this very day, 40 years later. But God changes things. But we have to love people as they are. And we have to love people where they are. And we can't just love people like us or we're not going to be loving many people. We got to love the people that God puts in front of us in our life. And we got to love them the way God loves us. Now I need to cover something here that John says. He says, because if, if this happens, then we will have boldness in the day of judgment. If we love in this way, we will have boldness in the day of judgment. Of judgment because as he is so are we in this world because as he is so are we in this world okay now what the Lord is saying here is says if, if, if you will forgive everyone that has sinned against you you will not put any judgment upon them I've learned over the years to when someone I'm hurt to as quickly as I can, I pray, Lord, I forgive them and I ask you that you not judge them for what they've done to me. I don't want them to be judged for my sake, but I put them in your hands. They're your children. But I release them from any judgment against me. Now, if you do that, you will not be judged in the day of judgment. But if you judge, 
you will be judged. Jesus said it. And if I judge another person for their sins and I hold it against them, I put them and me in bondage. But there is a possibility there of releasing. And there are many here this morning who need to release people who have offended you, who've hurt you and have done things to you they should not have done to you. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, those closest to us are the ones who hurt us, sometimes the deepest. And you may not get over the pain today, but you still need to release them from judgment. You need to forgive them with all your heart because God has forgiven you. And release them, release them, set them free. Don't hold them to that. John says later in John 5, he says, if you see your brother sin, a sin that's not unto death, pray for him. Pray for him and he will be released. He'll be saved. Because that's what God has given us is the power to pray. Pray for them who despitefully use you, who say all manner of evil against you falsely. Pray for that person who drives you nuts. You might have to pray for yourself first. God, forgive me. Forgive me. As a young pastor, I mean, I just, there's some people who just drive you over the edge. Really. And there were a couple people who were just driving me nuts. And I tried and tried and tried. And I'm praying one morning and I say, Lord, how long do I have to put up with them? Guess what happened? He said, as long as I have put up with you and John, the clock is still running. So, you see, love doesn't expire. It doesn't have a shelf life. It's forever. It's forever. It's there to abide. And I know what I'm saying this morning is powerful and I'm not cutting any chase here but let me just say this is important it's very important especially in this day we're going to come into a time of judgment and I I believe especially this fall things are going to begin to happen pretty quickly but we need to have boldness in the day of judgment and we can't believe and receive that freedom that boldness unless we release others from judgment Unless we first release them from judgment. The the Lord says, the scripture says something. As I am, so are you in this world. I don't know if you ever saw that movie made probably 30, 35 years ago called Zapata. And it was about a Mexican revolutionary who uh, was part of the revolution in 1910 in Mexico. Anyway, he caused uh, the Mexican general or the, 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 the normal um, army, regular army, a lot of trouble with his guerrillas that he went around during the revolution. And finally, these Mexican regular army guys came to the village where he was to arrest him. And they rode into town, called everybody into the center of the town and said, where's Zapata? Who is Zapata? Suddenly something happened. A man raised his hand and said, I am Zapata. He was not Zapata. 
Then other men raised their hands. I am Sapata. I am Sapata. I am Sapata. And those army soldiers didn't know who to arrest because everybody was Sapata. You know, I wish, I think Jesus sits up there waiting for that day when there'll be a bunch of people say, The love of God is in me. Jesus is in me. He abides in me. As he is in this world, so am I. They won't know who to judge. Because it'll all be like Jesus. And he's already been judged. But this is the power of what this scripture is teaching us. The obedience of love. Verse 20, someone says, I love God, but hates his brother. He's a liar and cannot he, for he cannot love his, if he cannot love his brother whom he can see, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Earlier, John said, we know we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we can have all kinds of manner of faith. We can be able to prophesy and speak with the tongues of men and angels and work miracles. But if we don't have love, we're a dingling. Just a, just a little clanging cymbal. I don't think the people in Ukraine can hear a clanging cymbal over the sound of the bombs and shells. I don't think the people in the inner city suffering from violence can hear little tinkling bells above the cries and screams of those who are being tormented. But they can hear the love of God expressed through God's people. The command is there. The command is there. This is the commandment we have received from him. That he who loves God must love his brother also. Must is in italics. But there's a must to this. This is part of keeping the commandments of the Lord. And it's so needed. Because what the world needs now is love that it can feel. Love that is real. Love that can be seen and known. Because it's the love of God. Amen. Earlier in my ministry, I noticed that a lot of pastors and ministers had a special message. You might call it a life message or something like that, and wrote books about it and ministered on the subject, etc. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what is my life message? And he says, John, your life message is going to be love in the last days. And that's when I received my revelation on this passage of Scripture. How God would use love in the last days to prepare his people to be fireproof. Fireproof. In other words, could pass through judgment. And to have boldness in the day of judgment. Now there's a difference between fireproof and inflammable. A lot of Christians are inflammable. You can't get them on fire no matter what you do. But anyway. But so be it. Whatever is the case. Anyway, but we want to be, we want to be flammable and we also want to be fireproof when it comes to the fires of judgment. Amen. And, uh, 
You know, this is going to be tested in our lives. I think all of us are aware that Christians have kind of been given a free skate for a long time in the United States. But the day is coming now when they're going to start to persecute us and try to, uh, what do they call it? Cancel us. Okay. They're going to ignore us. They're going to say all manner of evil against us. They, they even are now recently went to the bank and I needed two Philadelphia lawyers just because banks get cranky when they're dealing with churches. This bank that we've worked with for 40 years suddenly becomes obnoxious and can't trust us anymore. Now, I'm just telling you things are changing. The atmosphere is changing. We're coming into a time where there's going to be resistance and there's going to be persecution. But that's why this message of love, because (laughs) we have to love that person. I got to get out that woman's business card and spend some time praying over it. You know, it, you, you can, I mean, I did speak up for myself. I said, I'm the customer. You're supposed to be serving me, and I feel like I'm having to serve you. Is that going to change today? Why is this so difficult? Anyway, it got better, but I did, wasn't rude about it. I was just, this is, this is what I feel. This is what I sense. I'm being resisted, and I don't like it. I've been your customer for 40 years. I've never done anything to deserve this. We as church have never done anything to deserve it. We might have bounced a check or two, but that wasn't on purpose. Anyway, but you see, you see something's coming here. And how many of you noticed that with COVID and everything else that people are harder to deal with? Right? Let me just tell you something this morning. You know, when you go into a restaurant and that poor waitress is cranky or waiter is cranky. Why are they cranky? Because they've been feeding cranky people all day. It was a number of years ago. I hope it's no longer true, but it was true then. Is that after our Sunday night service, a lot of us Christians, we go down to the local restaurant. What was it called down there in Milk? Sherry's. Yes. And... Uh, I was checking out one day and paying the bill and I gave her a nice tip and the waitress looked at me and said, thank you. I said, most of us here don't like the church groups. I said, why not? I said, because they don't tip. Love is not cheap. And love should not be cheap. We should care and love for those who serve us especially. That's part of it. We need to be there to wash their feet. You bump into somebody who's having a miserable day, just ask them, would you like me to pray for you? Be there to love, not to be part of the problem, but to bring a solution in that situation. I'm being rather direct this morning. But he who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Amen. That sounds like a good deal to me. If I can get rid of my ornery nature and let the love of God and his wonderful, sweet, precious, holy nature dwell in me, what a deal. What an opportunity. What a necessity. Amen.
It's not about us. It's not about our opinion, our feelings, what's happened to us. Amen. I talked to people, well, pastor, 20 years ago, so-and-so did such and such, and that's why I am the way I am. Well, quit letting yesterday determine your tomorrow and your today. This is a day to move the immovable, to do the impossible. Amen. To break the unbreakable. Amen. The Lord is here to break chains this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now and just feel led of the Holy Spirit this morning. Ask everybody here to bow your head, close your eyes. Is there somebody you're mad at? Is there somebody you have a grudge against? Is there some bitterness in your soul because of what somebody else has done to you? I'm going to ask you this morning, have you forgiven them? Have you released them from judgment? Have you loved them as God has loved you? He loved you unconditionally. He forgave you unconditionally. Do you love them? Are you willing to love them as God loves you? The greatest problem in the church today is unforgiveness. And I know many of you have been walking down a hard road. Some of you have been walking on sharp rocks. Some of you have been poked with sharp sticks. Some of you have been rejected and reviled by others, abandoned and betrayed by friends, Christian friends. People who walked with a long time no longer willing to walk beside you. But I'm going to ask you this morning, are you willing to walk with Jesus inside you and forgive that person? And release them from any judgment. Pray for them that God will bring a change in their heart. Amen. That God will work a miracle in them. But we can't ask God to answer our prayers until we have forgiven that one that we have ought against. So if you have ought against anybody this morning, don't go home without forgiving that person without releasing them to the perfect will of God, letting the perfect love of God in you flow through you to that person. Just pray it out with you, between you and the Lord. He's here this morning. He's here this morning. He's suffered in all points like as we've suffered, but without sin. And if he abides in us, we can suffer without sinning. We can suffer without sinning. We can suffer without sinning this morning. Suffering is not an excuse to sin. Suffering is, an, is a reason to come and to partake and drink of the healing waters of God's love. But you can't drink of those waters without those waters filling you and flowing out of you. Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. The world's thirsty for living water, for living Christians, for loving Christians who live in the example and in the nature of their Lord Jesus Christ, who are light and darkness, who are light and darkness, 
who are strength and weakness, who are hope and hopelessness, who are help and helplessness, people who are there to be who God's called us to be. But before we can ask, we have to forgive or we're not going to be heard. We are not going to be heard if we don't first forgive because we have been forgiven. If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. If you would like prayer this morning, the altars are open. If you need prayer for healing, if you've got pain or sickness in your body, come. We'd love to pray for you this morning. Jesus is here to heal your body, so come. Amen. And we'll be glad to pray for you. Amen. You're welcome to come here and kneel at the altar. If you'd just like a time of extended prayer talking to the Lord, come on up. Amen. Lord's here to do business with us this morning in our hearts. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. There's somebody here who has a very difficult situation in their home. There's been a lot of strife and confusion. But today, the Lord's going to turn that around and bring about a miracle by the power of His love. Amen. That's you this morning. Be encouraged. You're going to see God move the immovable, do the impossible. Men, we can't do it, but God can. And he will do 